Hello, my community. It's the fall equinox. Today is the balanced day between hours of daylight and darkness. From here on in our part of the world, minutes of darkness will slowly overtake minutes of light. We're a month into the fall semester. The moon is waxing, growing larger as it moves toward the full on the 29th. The perfect time to begin a new season together. I'm Claire Houle, a writer and instructional designer at the Center for Teaching Excellence at Midlands Technical College here in Columbia, South Carolina. This episode begins our new season as we officially cross over into autumn, even though our fall semester is well begun. Join me as we once again branch out following the roots and filaments of teaching and connection here at the college. This is Instructional Ecology. Welcome to season four. Welcome back, friends. This season is a direct outgrowth of last season on learning to learn, specifically episode six, failure. Yes, this season, we're traveling to the underworld of higher education failure. As in Greek and other mythologies, failure is our underworld. We all must go there sometime, and some of us feel like we never return. We fear the descent into failure, but often it's the only way to get what we seek, to complete a journey and arrive in a new country, to reach the future. And we know that failure is always a possibility. It's always beneath our feet, and our descent could start at any moment as we attempt our work and personal lives. As we'll see, we often try to forget about the yawning caverns just below us, the vast empty space we could at any moment fall into. So this entire season will be a new look and constant re-engagement with that most troublesome part of learning. Yes, an entire season about failure. <laughs> what was I thinking? Well, I'll tell you what I and others are thinking and why we find thinking and talking about failure so valuable that we built a whole season on it. Talking with Professor T.J. Kimmel and advisor Will Galston last season, we found in our episode on failure that when we began to take the time to ask fundamental questions like, what is the place for failure in higher education? Where are students expected to put their emotion around loss that often accompanies failure? We found the answer was nowhere. Higher education expects students to take it outside of the institution. They're expected to go away and convalesce, in Will Galston's wonderful choice of word, somewhere else, and then return when they're all better. This isn't an expectation unique to us at MTC. It's colleges and universities everywhere. Faced with this clearly articulated realization, many of us immediately had questions and concerns. Is this model useful to us here at an open enrollment institution, at any institution of higher learning? Is this really contemporary best practice? Is this a tradition we've inherited from academia and can safely jettison since our work is to teach the community, not to keep the gates of the ivory tower sealed against intruders? 
our work is to open doors. So maybe we can open up new spaces to face and engage with failure in new ways. So in this season, we're going to look failure in the face. We're going to ask the hard questions and get down into the details with our instructional community. And one way we'll do that is to hear stories of failure. Not only will we inquire into the generalities of student experience, we'll hear personal stories of specific failure from faculty and staff and leadership. Our psychology professor, Angela Griffin, was our trailblazer here in our season three bonus episode, wherein she told a story she tells students about a failure she endured just as she was trying to launch her career as she ended school. We found last season that some faculty and staff are quietly sharing their own stories of personal failure in their work with their students, and that those stories can strengthen and hearten students when no other kind of encouragement can reach them. What if we told these stories to each other as well? As we'll hear over the course of the season, higher education prefers silence. It prefers that we hide our failures. What if we resist that insistence? What might become possible? That makes me think of F. Scott Fitzgerald saying, there are no second acts in American lives. There are so many ways to engage with that, of course. But if we put that in an educational context, it's strikingly true. In academia and higher education, the public narrative and many student expectations is that everyone passes the first time and walks a straight line from the first day of college to the final degree and then gets that gold job and rides it into the sunset. There are no second acts because there don't have to be. In our collective myth, everyone is a one-take wonder. Is that how your life has gone? Straight lines, clear paths to a profession, your educational path, flawless, without setback, without mistake or dead end or change of course. Let me be bold to say mine certainly has not. And think of those we admire. How many of them have actually come to their career path later in life? or have embarked on entirely new second careers. So why this unvoiced but almost universal expectation that all will go according to plan so that we don't need to have any plan other than A? Why are we not thoroughly and openly equipping ourselves and our students for inevitable setback and failure and recovery? This season will ask those questions delve into student expectations and myths of success in higher education. So this season will be a beginning. I don't think we'll manage to crack the code after just a few episodes and solve the puzzle of failure in higher ed for all times. So that's not my goal here. My goal is to begin, to have new conversations with new questions. By the end of the season, we'll have a much richer look at failure as it is experienced and received and the possibilities we can act upon. No, this season is about new conversations, investigations, guesses, and findings. By the end, we hope to have more thinking and discovery and glimpses of possibility that can, if the college chooses, 
allow us to reorient and try something new. So maybe we'll have more failure seasons ahead of us as we get better and better at looking failure in the face and responding openly and productively. Let me tell you what the guiding questions are for this season, because we'll hear these a lot and they'll lead us to very new places. First, what is the place for failure in higher education? This question is going to help us understand what is, what the current state of things is for our profession. Then a second question, failure brings loss and loss leads to grief. So what is the place for grief in higher education? And finally, a favorite of mine, what would help? When we ask that question of many people in many places, we build up a mosaic of perspective. Maybe no one has the unifying vision to solve everything, but if each person tells us from their work something that would help, we assemble quite a tapestry of possibility to choose from as we move forward. And let's talk about students for a moment. This season does not feature any student voices. This was a deliberate choice. I thought carefully about it and consulted with the CTE director, and I simply don't believe it would be ethical to ask current students to talk publicly about their failures. I think that's too intimate, too demanding, and the platform too big. I think that when we have trusting relationships with students, it's essential to have them talk about their failures. That's part of the learning process and our job as educators, but not in a public forum while their educational life is currently active. So you'll hear anecdotes from those who work with students, and you'll hear stories of failure from professionals who choose to talk about their stories deliberately and with forethought. These failures are firmly in the past, and the storytellers have had time to encompass their experience and handle it until it's no longer searingly immediate. I hope students will listen, though, and then tell their stories to those they trust to walk alongside them and support them as they need. I think we as successful educators must blaze the trail and set the example for openness in our willingness to be open and vulnerable, we take away the model of secrecy students observe every day. Now, to help us kick off the season as usual is Center for Teaching Excellence Director Mary Helen Hendricks to give us context for how failure could possibly be connected to a unit devoted to excellence. So Mary Helen, we're here at the beginning of a new season, and it's a season on failure. So, I, you know, I, I would like to start with asking you, we're the Center for Teaching Excellence. Why are we talking about failure? Claire, I, I love that question because we see them as antithetical to one another, failure and success, but they're not. They're intimately related. We know that excellence is not a static state that you can achieve. It's just not. It's an ongoing pursuit of improvement. Failure serves as a catalyst for growth. It highlights the areas that need refinement. Embracing that failure often leads us to a deeper understanding of what our students need and how their learning can be supported. That that makes me ask. I mean, we're here for student success, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you and I are here to serve the faculty to get us to the goal, which is student success. So as I've talked to other people around the college about failure, 
one thing that I'm hearing a lot is we don't really honor or even acknowledge the, the place of failure and success. So for you as a learning expert, how do you see the relationship between failure and success? I look at failure through sort of multiple lenses, right? There are so many ways you can look at failure. First, you can just look at it as abject failure. I failed. I'm never going to be anything. Um, it's never going to work. But there are two other areas or types of failure that I like to think about. And those are effective failure or productive failure. Okay. So when you see failure as a stepping stone on the path to success, it can be effective, very effective. If you see failure as an endpoint, right, you just stop. You don't think any further. You just say, I can't. That's an, an absolute failure. You've, you've given up. But when you see it as a natural part of the learning process, it leads to personal growth. And it, it can lead to the achievement of our goals or the need to reframe our goals, because sometimes there are things we won't be able to do. And that's not a failure. It's just something that we realize is not within our capacity. Um, I'm never going to be an astronaut. Okay. It's not in my capacity. It's not, I'm not a failed astronaut. I'm just never going to be one. Um, failure challenges our definitions of success. It forces us to reevaluate our goals and our aspirations. So failure can teach us discipline. It can teach us patience and humility, which are very important to learning. Those things are so critical to learning and you, you just can't overlook them. Uh, patience, because learning takes time. Discipline, because it takes application of your effort. And humility, because you have to recognize that you will fail at something. Everybody does. And the humility that because you failed, you might not always be right. So you keep your ears open and your eyes open. Because taking risk, being willing to fail, I think they're essential moves necessary to bring clarity and understanding. Effective and productive failure actually require three key elements that are critical in higher ed and in ed in general. Reflection, obviously looking at what failed, why it failed and what you can do from it. A growth mindset, recognizing that even though this didn't work the way I wanted it to, I'm still capable and I can look for other routes. And then finally, being able to reach out and ask for help. Those three are critical to effective failure. You have a lot of facility with talking about failure, but let me ask you, how do you find in a higher education setting, I don't just mean at the college, you've worked at many institutions as if I, how does higher education currently handle the subject of failure? Well, I'm glad we're on a podcast, Claire, because if this was a uh, video log, you would have just seen the horror expression that passed over my face. Um, 
I, I, I see a couple of areas where higher ed and education in general kind of misses the boat when it comes to failure. Now, this is my opinion, but as you said, I've been at multiple institutions and multiple levels. I've worked at Research Ones, I've worked with four-year liberal arts, uh, community colleges. So in all of these, I see we are very hesitant to acknowledge failure as people, as humans. And in some cases, we just don't adequately acknowledge and discuss it. If we are not encouraged, particularly if our students are not encouraged to talk about failures, to share them openly with one another, then we can't really support them well. And we can't give them guidance in dealing with setbacks because they're too ashamed to tell us they've failed or they can't learn. And when I say that, that sounds kind of weird. You're like, well, I know they made a 30 on the test. Of course, I know they failed. But if they were comfortable with failure, they may have come to you before the test saying, I don't understand this. I can't grasp this. I am failing to understand in the way you're explaining to me. Can we go at it a different way? Because what you want is for them to fail during the process, right? During the process of learning finding out and figuring out what they're struggling. But if they can't talk to us about it, if they can't talk to one another about it, we can't get there. And if you think about it, I mean, we're, we're in academia. And although there's lots out there on how grades are not necessarily useful for learning, academic pressures of keeping good grades, uh, it, it leaves little room for failure. You know, you can't afford to get that bad grade. Uh, you might end up on academic probation. You might lose your scholarship. You might whatever. And so that pressure of getting the good grade sometimes pushes students away from taking risk and exploring new ideas. So they get a little bit of it that they know they need to have to, to get the grade, but they're not comfortable with sort of exploring and asking questions about what if. I think we kind of put a fear in students of asking questions like much like that is I will be struck down if I ask a question. We do tell success stories in college, right? And we do that often to motivate our students. But when we do this, we put all of our focus on the success. We rarely talk about the failure that led all the failures, the multiple failures that led to that success. And that creates a very unrealistic perception of su that success comes without setbacks, that success comes with, ooh, look at Steven Spielberg, right? He's a pretty successful guy, I think, by most people's standards. He was rejected by film school three times. Three times they told the man, you're not good enough. Get out of here. So I think we really have to focus on the failure stories that lead to success instead of the success. And there's one other area I think that we sometimes overlook. In higher ed, we really focus on academic skills and knowledge, right? We, we focus so hard on that often at the exclusion of adequate opportunities for students to develop life skills, durable skills, essential skills like resilience, problem solving, critical thinking, emotional intelligence. Those are all key 
features of successful people. Those are qualities they have. But when you ignore failure, you don't notice the opportunities to develop those skills. And I think we really need to, in higher ed, start paying more attention to that and figuring out how we weave this language of productive failure in our classrooms as opposed to failure in our classrooms. So we began by saying that, you know, higher education would really prefer not to talk about failure. And then we moved into, well, we could talk about it. And then the question becomes, well, how could we talk about it? How could professors or supporting staff frame failure? And I know in particular, there's someone that you feel in higher ed that does it really well, Ed Berger. Tell me a little bit about um, what he does and why you find it so suggestive and, and excellent. If you don't know Edward Berger, um, he's very humble, but he's also brilliant. He is quite inspiring. He has taught everything from lower education, the K through 12 system, all the way up through graduate schools. He has been president, I believe, at multiple colleges, at the college he's at now. He still teaches. He maintains his teaching even as he serves as president of college because he believes it's that important. He's a mathematician. He is considered a leading educator in our country. He talks a lot about effective failure, and he's written some great books, too. He maintains that Effective failure is absolutely critical key to successful learning. He likes to say that it's what you do after you make a mistake that informs your learning. I mean, the man teaches math. High failure rates, high withdrawal rates. I mean, that's ask any math professor, right? Well, what he did was he told his students, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. 5% of your grade is going to be based on the quality of your effective failure. So what does that mean for students? It means in order to get an A in his course, you've got to fail at something because that's 5% of your grade. Well, why would you want students to fail? Well, he doesn't. He wants to foster an environment where failing is a natural and necessary component and then allow the students to bring forth their own genius and share their authentic ideas, even if, or especially if in his case, those ideas aren't polished or perfectly formed. He's done this at three different institutions. And they often gets people challenging, such as, you know, well, students are just going to use that as a loophole, you know, they're going to not study and then they're going to tell you what they learned. Well, he's done this in multiple classes at three different universities and has yet to find any abuse by students. What he does find every time is more engaged, more prepared, and thoughtful students. His students will come in, get a test back, and one of them will say, oh, you guys, I failed big time on this one. And this is what I screwed up. And then his peers will start talking about, oh, well, did you? And they'll have this big discussion on why it was a failure, what they learned from it. And how he does this at the end of the semester, the students have to write a small analysis paper in the math class on how well they failed. How effective was a failure? What was their most effective failure? What was their least? And what grade do they think they should have? 
for their failure grade. And all the time he's done this, and this is back from, I think I first watched him speak in 2012. So he's been doing it for over a decade. He has never had to give a student a lower failure grade and quite often has had to give them higher failure grades than they gave themselves because they learned to look at their failures in a different light. I think that the way he positions failure as natural and necessary component in making progress, I think that's really powerful. And I think that faculty can do this, really open up a world for their students, a whole new world. The episode last season on failure, where that was the germ of this entire season, uh, when I asked our guests, um, what do you think the place for uh, a failure is in higher education? They both said there isn't one. You can't be Mm. seen to fail in higher education. You need to take it outside. Right. We're not going to talk about it. And what you're talking about is the exact inverse, right, is to make yes. it visible. Yes. Is to make it as visible as possible, to make it digestible, to make it um, a, a subject of analysis. Uh, and to me, what that doesn't allow is shame. Yes. Right? Because shame requires invisibility, right? Shame right. is there to teach you to, to take it away. And this is a you almost describe students being proud. Or, you know, willing to talk about their failure. Hey, guys, you know, I really, I really failed big time. Shame is is a built-in part of higher education, as we've talked about in several events on campus last year in Interconnections. And what we're talking about is making failure less shameful. Yes. How do you think we could, and but that's not going to come naturally to students in our educational system. Right. How on earth could we begin? Because it isn't just MTC at all. This is all of academia, all of higher education have this built in model. How could we begin to change that? So I've said some of this already, but um, it's worth repeating. One, we need to stop seeing failure is a taboo topic and a four letter word. We need to recognize that fear is huge. Do you know that um, fear of success, a third of our population has fear of success. It's even stronger than any other type phobia in terms of percentages of people who suffer from it. So (laughs) that's terrifying. We need to recognize that We're not alone in our fear because we know that there's comfort in numbers. When I am not afraid in my class to say, whoa, look how bad I failed, but look what I learned. It makes someone else who's a little more quiet willing to say, hey, I failed on that too, but this is what I learned. And in doing that, I believe that we should foster this open culture that normalizes failure as part of the learning process. The students should be encouraged and made comfortable in discussing their challenges openly without fear of judgment from their classmates. So I think that we need to emphasize learning and personal growth, which occurs through failure, through productive and effective failure. We want them to, we want our students and ourselves, I guess, to see failure as an opportunity for improvement 
rather than a measure of our worth, rather than value. It's not a valuation or judgment of us. It's just where you are at the moment in the process. You used a word that I've actually heard you use a lot in our years of working together. Um, And I think that it's a word that might help us as we talk about failure in new ways. And that's the word yet. So it's funny. I, I have used yet for a very long time in my own life because it's something I discovered very young. I would tell myself when I wanted to do something, I just can't do it yet. I can do anything, just not yet. And then I got older and the concept of yet and learning is really tied to growth mindset. And it was popularized by Carol Dweck. So a lot of people know yet, the power of yet, which is how she refers to it. But for me, it's been a driving force in my life because it affects the way I approach a challenge. It affects the way I approach a setback. My honing in on the power of yet helps me address failures, particularly in the concept of when I'm trying or in the context of when I'm learning something new, because When I integrate failure and the power of yet together, right, I take the talk about failure and the talk about the power of yet, I put them together, we have a a transformative impact. That power of yes is a shift from fixed to growth mindset. The power of yet minimizes my self-doubt and helps me control my fear. The power of yet allows me to embrace failure to actively embrace it as a stepping stone in a learning process. The power of yet for me really focuses on my effort and the process and progress I'm making as opposed to whether I was a winner or a loser, right? I can look at this and say, this was not a failure because I put a lot of effort in and it was strong effort, but I didn't understand something yet. So I'm going to go back and apply more effort, look at my process, investigate new ways, look for innovations, look for different ways, and recognize that I'm not there yet, but I will be. I'll tell you what that makes me want to ask is one of the things that is so distinctive about defining failure is the feeling of failure, right? You know, which, oh. which is, right, which has a huge impact on student success and um, persistence. But let me ask you this, now that you brought yet into it, suddenly that feeling of failure is interrupted, right? You you don't have that pervasive sense of crushing ending. So I'm going to ask you a very difficult, strange question is, is it a failure if you don't feel that you failed? When is failure not a failure? When you use it to grow when you use it to improve. The failing itself, it's, it's not interesting. It's not important. It doesn't matter if you fail. What matters is what you do next. What's not done yet, right? Failure isn't a failure when it gets you to reevaluate your goals, your priorities, your strategies. It might lead you to a realization that the original path you were on is not aligned with what your true passions or values are or your true strengths. So we can guide individual failure, not we. Failure can guide people to more fulfilling pursuits. 
It can lead to creativity. It can lead to innovation. I mean, there are some pretty big, horrid failures that serve us well. Um, penicillin comes to mind. I mean, think about penicillin. It was, he found a mole that had contaminated his cultures. He had a contamination problem. But wait a minute. Then he realized, whoa, yes, there was contamination, but it killed the mole. Huh. Let's follow that. He was looking for one thing, but it wasn't the successful path. We're setting up a possibility of, as we talk about failure, to see failure as part of a process, uh, right? You know, okay, if something didn't work, well... What, what does one learn from it, right? How can we make it effective? And that mm -hmm. might mean I need to turn and go another way or I need to look at it differently or I need to handle it to learn something. But that one, there, there's something that, that there's a part of failure that that doesn't address. That is very important. But that is, is that it is not a straight line from failure to next success, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't happen instantly. And often, with failure, there is loss. Yeah, There could be all kinds of loss. There could be the loss of, okay, I, I can't continue in this program, or I can't continue at the school, or loss of identity. I thought I could do this, and I cannot currently, and I'll have to do something different in order to get to the next stage. So with loss, most of us can't instantaneously surmount that. And that brings grief. So I'll ask you the question I've, I've begun asking everybody that um, uh, I'm getting very similar answers from, which is, is there a place in higher education for the grief caused by failure? Oh, I, I think absolutely. And I think, but I think grief like failure is sort of taboo. It's a topic that we avoid, we push away. Um, you know, somebody tells you they've had a tragedy in their family and you give them condolences, but you quickly try to move away because it's devastating to you too, it's so painful. But grief comes from so many sources. Academic setback, I mean, in higher ed, we know it comes from others outside, but um, it can come from academic setbacks, career challenges, or even societal issues. But recognizing and addressing it is important because acknowledging it is important. Grief is a universal experience. We all experience it, no matter who you are. And grief can have a very strong impact on your ability to focus, your ability to learn, your ability to perform academically or professionally. When you have suffered a loss, your brain goes through particular processes, chemicals, and those create an experience that's real. It's very, you know, you can't say you're not, somebody's not grieving because they failed something. I mean, they are. And once they feel that, and they've lost that focus, they've lost that ability to learn. They don't feel supported or understood. Um, I think 
when we when they feel supported and understood in, in their grief, in that time of grief, they're more likely to seek help. They're more likely to engage with peers and contribute to their community, their academic community, because they don't need to feel what you referred to earlier as shame or guilt over that grief. It does have an impact. We are humans. And no matter what we want education to be, there are holistic, it has to be a holistic approach because we have a human in the classroom. It's not just a brain there to learn. It's all these touchy-feely pieces that we can ignore, but to our own peril and to the detriment of our students. And I think we need places where people can, where students can talk about their losses. If you don't have somebody to talk to about that, to work through it, to deal with that intense potential grief, because you see the possibility of losing what you want. Or you're nursing. This is all you've ever wanted to do. You get accepted. You get in there and you realize, oh, crap, I faint every time I see some of the some blood. Well, your, your pathway has just changed. That brings a sense of loss. And if you aren't prepared to deal with the grief and loss, you give up. So you can't say, OK, what can I do that I might enjoy more with what I've learned? Where can I go from here? Where do I go now instead of saying, oh, I can't do this. I can't do anything. And I think that's that's what's important is recognizing that grief is universal and that it is no shame associated with the feelings that come when you feel disappointed or a loss or a failure. So we're at the beginning of a season about failure, and I'm, I've come to see failure as sort of the underworld of academia, right? It's the place no one wants to go, Yes. right? Everyone avoids it. We do everything we can to avoid going there. And when we do go, it's a, it's an un, a complete, a journey of great unknown um, and anxiety, worry, even fear, uh, but I feel that, um, you know, stories tell us that when we go to the underworld, we always return with some kind of knowledge that we never could have gotten another way by facing it. And obviously, at this point, we, do, we don't know what we're going to find. This is a season of inquiry. We're not expecting one season of a podcast to revolutionize the look of failure in higher education, but it could be a start. Absolutely. So I'm wondering, what do you hope when I came to you and I said, you know, I, I feel like we should just take one episode on failure and turn it into a season. And you said yes. And I'm wondering, what do you hope this season might bring to our instructional community, which is what you and I are here to serve? I hope that this season will give them a new lens to view failure. I hope that they will become more familiar with the concepts of effective and productive failure. Um, I hope that they will recognize the value that their own failure stories bring to our students and com community. I hope that we find a way to normalize failure. And I think faculty failure stories that we're going to be sharing this time will demonstrate to our us and they can share these with their students. Right. If you've done a pod, if you've been on the podcast talking about your story, share it with your students. Let them know that it's common 
let them know that there are other college failures that are going to be shared. Recognize they're not alone. I hope that that helps students understand that even experts encounter difficulties and make mistakes. I hope that it will encourage our faculty to take more risk through sharing of their failure stories because they can show that taking risk and stepping out of their comfort zone is a it's critical, it's essential for growth. Um, hopefully this will inspire our students to be more willing to experience the power of yet, more willing to experiment, to innovate, to explore a new idea, even if it leads to abysmal failure as a learning point, right? Um, I also hope that as we share this season, because I do think this season is important, we share with students too. But it humanizes us, not only with our students, but fellow faculty, because sometimes we have faculty that we think, our colleagues that, oh my gosh, they couldn't have ever failed at anything. Look at, but faculty members, when we look at experts and authority figures, we think, wow. But the truth is when they share their failure stories, they become more human to us. They become more relatable. They become more approachable. And it, they're better able, I think, to build student-faculty relationships and supporting environments because the students really do recognize through that failure story what you've told them all along, which is, I was there, I was a student, I know how hard it was. You can say that to them and they still think, eh. But when you show them, I failed too and kept going to get here, it gives them strength. So I hope it does that. I hope uh, perhaps as we share our failure stories, these will become model stories for students, right? Be the change you want to see in the world. Show a student how you went, how you took a failure and used it to inform your path forward. And I also hope it will enhance self-compassion, you know, recognizing that mistakes are just a part of life. I know that we try to make that kind of hidden in our culture, but it's really important, I think, in academia to promote openness, to promote vulnerability, because if you're not willing to do that, students aren't going to respond that way. And we need them to be open. We need them to be willing to share their vulnerable weaknesses so that we can help them overcome them together as a team. And that's what I'm hoping that this season will do. Bring this to our community, both our faculty and students, encouraging the listeners to assess their own strengths and weaknesses, look at areas for improvement, and really foster a, 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 a deeper level of self-awareness and growth for our person. Well, as we stand here at, at the gates of the underworld about to journey forward, is there anything else about failure that you want us to keep in mind or that you're hoping for or that you, you worry about? Anything as we, because the beginning we don't know what will happen next, right? We, we don't know. We, we can't be certain of the end. So at this moment, as we risk failure, as we risk success, anything else that's on your mind as we go together? 
one of the things that I would like faculty to ask themselves when they are creating their program, when they are developing assignments, when they're looking at the flow of a course, faculty, especially faculty that have been teaching for a while, they know where students struggle. They know where failure happens a lot. So be thinking about it all the time, having the back of your head. How can I help students reframe their failure in the context of this learning opportunity? You know, what can I have in the back of my mind? Because I know students are going to fail here. I know they are. How can I frame that and reframe it so that when that happens, they can use it constructively to move forward past the challenge. So I think that's what I'd like probably to, to leave them with is the idea of thinking about how you as a faculty member or as just a person, how you can allow yourself to share your own failure stories with joy in the recognition of what came after the failure. So instead of the event, which was the failure, which is essentially not important, what did you do with it? And, and that's what I'd like faculty to do is help students see that failure is just a stepping stone. There you have it. Lots of failure ahead. I promise you, we're not doing this for the schadenfreude. This isn't a place where we're inviting you to watch a reality show with contestants fumbling and failing so that we can feel the thrill of horror and relief that it's not us making the goofs. Nor is this going to be a downer of a season. The conversations you're going to hear are full of energy and hope and ferocity for improvement. We're going to have to endure discomfort and worry. We're going to talk about sad and painful things. But we'll also have a few laughs, and we'll always be looking for the next guiding light. And I don't think we'll arrive at final answers. We're not going to solve the problem of failure in higher education in one season of a small podcast at a community college in South Carolina. But we're going to start. Why shouldn't a small podcast at a community college in South Carolina ask these questions? Our teaching and learning community is as strong and vibrant as any other. And if we're asking these questions, then we're ready to begin to answer. And we're going to find hope that we'll find that path by talking and thinking together. To quote one of my most trusted guiding authors, Ursula Le Guin, there is bleakness in finding only hope where one expected certainty. I am rightly accused of being a master at bringing down the mood, killing the vibe. Love to bring the mood down. A season of failure will have them rolling in the aisles, I thought. But I think that when we engage in something as organic and risky as education, we're lucky to find hope because there's little certainty when there are so many factors in play as we attempt to learn and change. This season will be about hope in place of certainty. I would rather have hope for what could be instead of the certainty of what currently is, that failure is a dream killer, and that we as educators have only slender threads to offer students to build bridges to the future after a hard fall. 
Perhaps you'll come along with me and look for hope in the bottom of the box that one day we will unbuild those walls and construct those bridges and make them broad and wide and well-lit. Here we are at the beginning of another podcast season, following a path into darkness, into uncertainty. As you may recall, part of this podcast mission is to look at our community as an ecosystem. And I think that means also connecting to our local ecology. I usually express that in a seasonal opener for each episode. So for our seasonal openings this podcast season, I'll be tracing the waning hours of daylight as we trickle toward the winter solstice, the heart of darkness, or maybe the quietest, safest point of retreat. We'll follow the path of the sun as the earth tilts in its revolution and rotation and watch our minutes of daylight shrink and become precious until they slowly begin to return. By attending to those subtle changes, we become alive to the world around us in a new way. Just as by listening to each other, we become alive to ideas and ways of being in a new way. But just as some of us dread days with less light, some of us come to find great meaning and restorative comfort in short days and long, deep nights. Likewise, we may dread to look directly at failure. We may dread that journey into discomfort, pain, and uncertainty. But if we do take that journey, we may find richness, complexity, and great value there. And perhaps we'll take this journey to the underworld of higher education and return with a new wealth of knowledge that makes life on the surface, life in daylight, that much more rewarding. When you're fully in the dark, there's no more dark left to fear. Because then the light returns, however slowly that may be. Let's face the seasonal darkness together, just as we face failure. Because at some point, it will retreat in front of us. Time will pass and we will be in a new season, just as our lives yield to new seasons. The failure becomes the foundation for our next self. The core of winter always leads us back into the green heart of summer. Join us next time when we cut past the rind into the fruit of the season with therapist Centrelle Leggett from Counseling Services here at the college. We'll start right at the place that makes failure so daunting, the emotion it engenders. We'll talk about the feeling of failure and how it affects student experience and decision-making, how it affects those around them, like family, mentors, and faculty. Join us to get a focused look at a volatile part of the experience of failure, because if we're facing failure, we need to immediately engage with how it makes us feel. Join me next time deeper into the darkness of fall and further into the web of our community.